Our uh, scripture reading this morning for our sermon, Search and Destroy, comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, which reads, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. At best, I think it's frustrating when we get locked inside a room for any reason. And at worst, it can be frightening. It was for a little four-year-old girl who was locked into her grandmother's bathroom. It didn't take long for her to get scared at all. And her grandma came. She was a Christian woman and wanted to help her granddaughter stay calm. She said, honey, don't worry. Jesus is in there with you. To which the little girl responded, I know. But he wants to get out too. I really don't know how Jesus feels about bathrooms. But I do know that there are some places Jesus wants out of. What I know for sure is the hidden places of your life. He's thrilled to be welcomed into your life, yes, but he's most excited about shining out of your life. That's why we're in this study of 1 John. Because in this book, the old apostle and the best friend of Jesus makes it clear that it's great for the light of Christ to illumine your life, but... What he wants to do is also use that life to shine out into a dark world and make a difference there. In short, he wants us to be lights out. What does that look like? Well, in particular this morning, one of the keys that we're going to see is that you and I shine for Christ when we are a living example, listen to me, of the power of Christ specifically to overcome sin. Now, that's probably not a surprising in lieu of the Scripture we heard it just a few moments ago. But I want to say that again. One of the best ways that you shine for Christ is when you are a living example of the power of Christ to help you overcome sin. Church, our greatest apologetic to the world is not our buildings. It's not our music. It's not our communion. But it's our life change. And it's the one argument I think the world cannot deny with integrity. I was reminded at this week by a rather strange source, an atheist. His name is Matthew Parrish, and he is a British atheist who wrote these words in December of 2008 in the London Times. He writes, I'd been to Africa, back to the country of Malawi where I grew up as a child. I'd not been home in quite some time, but the trip back restored my faith in charities at work in developing countries. He went on to say, it refreshed another belief too, one that I've been trying to banish all of my life. It's an observation that I have not been able to avoid since my African childhood. 
It confounds my ideological beliefs. It continues to stubbornly refuse to fit my worldview. And it has embarrassed my growing belief that there isn't a God. You see, I'm a confirmed atheist. But I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from secular NGOs and government relief efforts that attempt to educate and to train mostly the mind. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. Now an atheist gets that. Would that the church get that? And I'm so hoping we do. I'm so hoping your preacher gets that. Because to do so is only going to come with great faith in believing that the Holy Spirit is actually living and impacting as a presence of God now. And Satan doesn't want you to believe that. He has to. He's got to discourage that because he wants to break our trust that God actually is capable of providing exactly what he promises he'll provide. Let's be honest. Some of you are as equally as leery of God fulfilling his promises about the Spirit as Adam and Eve were about God providing all they needed in the garden. Satan does not want me to believe. Satan does not want Lord to believe. Satan does not want Gail to believe. Satan does not want John to believe and Frank to believe. Satan does not want any of us to believe that I can actually change. He doesn't want me to believe I can actually be different. He does not want me to believe that I could actually become, listen to me, a new creation. And all of those things are exactly what God says can happen when the Spirit of Christ moves into us. <laughs> a little boy came up to Muhammad Ali. He says, I'm thinking of dropping out of school, becoming a boxer like you. And I love how Ali replied in his typical poetic style, stay in college and get the knowledge. Stay there till you're through. Because if God can make, a penicillin, can make penicillin out of moldy bread, he can make something out of you. I love that. Friend, God can work through anybody, anywhere, under any circumstance to improve any life. Now that's not near as poetic as Muhammad Ali, but it's Bible. Here's what I want us to hear this morning. The same text that was read a few moments ago by my brother Dunks, and I want to read this from the message this time and not the NIV. All who indulge in a sinful life are dangerously lawless, for sin is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There's no sin in him, and sin's not a part of his program. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. And they've got them all backward. So, my dear children, don't let anybody divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right who is right. Just as we see it lived out in our righteous Messiah. Those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil. The pioneer of the practice of sin. The Son of God, however, entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. People conceived and brought into life by God don't practice sin. How could they? Because God's seed is deep within them, making them who they are. 
It's not in the nature of God, of the God begotten, to practice and to parade sin. Here's how you tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteousness isn't from God, nor is the one who won't love his brother or sister. It's a simple test. Pray with me, please. Father, I come confessing this morning that I failed that test quite a, quite a few times this week. It would have been difficult sometimes for the world to see which side I was on by my actions and some of my words. And I ask your forgiveness. I ask on behalf of this church your forgiveness because, Father, we all come confessing that. And I have a feeling the Maranatha Christian Center would do the same thing. We want to lift them up. We want to join them, Father, in saying, forgive us. Forgive us for not believing that you really can change us, that you really can empower us, that, yes, you came to forgive us, but you came to change us, transform us. And we're asking for you to help our unbelief. We believe, we're trying, but please help our unbelief. And we all ask it together in Jesus' name and everyone said, I really am curious if you walked in here this morning and you're worn out and you're fed up with a particular area of your life that is just debilitating you. You're tired of giving in. You're tired of being controlled by what you know breaks God's law and is breaking your life. First, you need to know that any and every sin that I'm talking about in regards to that, any and every sin is forgivable by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church said amen? Okay. Let's start there. It's forgivable by the blood of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Romans, you have to work this with me, guys. I don't know if you're helping me or if I'm doing this or not. You go to the next slide for me. There you go. If we declare with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's salvation. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. Now, I want to say it again. That's good news. But here's the better news. That when we are purified from that sin, his spirit moves in. Paul's going to say this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind, however, governed by the spirit, I'm telling you, that's life and peace. Now, I'm curious, how would you like to help yourself to some of that? A little life and a little peace? I think all of us could stand some of that. So hear the word of the Lord. Paul continues in verse 9. You, Christians... However, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit now. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body's subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now that ought to make you want to get out of bed in the morning. If the Spirit is in me, Christ's righteousness is in me and is affecting and impacting my life to be different than those who don't have the Spirit within them. John's going to go on to say this. You know that Jesus appeared so that he might take away sins. He goes on in verse 7 and says, Now the devil's been sinning from the beginning. That's what he does. And for this reason, the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. Now I've got that highlighted because I, I want to remind you, he's come not to just forgive the devil's work, or to clean the slate of the devil's work. He wants to destroy the devil's work in your life. And I hope you believe that. Now, while you're pondering that, let me ask you a question. Did you know it's 98 days to Christmas? 
98 days to Christmas, already under 100. Now, the reason why I bring that up is not just to break the, the tension, because we're mulling this over and we're thinking about this. I, I, I know this is true, but I just don't know. Well, when Christmas gets here, I can guarantee you we're going to disconnect something that is a major truth of that birth in a manger. Christ's coming in the manger and our overcoming sin rarely get connected together. And I'm going to help make that connection before we enter into this season, okay? Here's what was said to Joseph. If I can get there. About Mary. The angel appears to him and says, Mary's going to give birth to a son, Joseph. You were to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now you thought it was to bring peace and joy. And it is. But most of us attach the peace and joy to Christmas carols and to presents. No. The peace and joy that Christ comes to give to the world is by destroying the works of the devil in their life. Jesus' mission to earth was to search out and destroy the cancer responsible for absolutely killing the relationship between the creator and the created. Which is why the Gospels do not portray Jesus as trying to run and hide from the devil, ever. They portray him as trying to pursue the devil. Remember back in Mark chapter 5? They're on a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. No, I need to do Luke first, and then we'll do the, the, the Gennesaret and uh, Demoniac. In Luke chapter 4, right after his baptism, Luke makes a point of mentioning that the Spirit leads Jesus Christ into the wilderness. And I think that's significant because you need to know he wasn't leading him into an ambush. He was leading Jesus to attack. He's pursuing the devil. He's not being ambushed by him. Now to the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. When they're crossing the lake of the Sea of Galilee and they get to the other side, they hear this incredible sound coming, a sound that Jimmy Sportsman just soon never hear in his life. That's of a demon-possessed man running around the cemetery naked, cutting himself with stones. Now, if I'm in a boat and I'm, I'm coming up to a cemetery close to the shore where I can see that and hear that, I'm going to say, Peter, could we find another place to dock, please? Jesus says, no, we're docking here. And he gets off that boat and engages this man who's possessed by this thug of a demon. Jesus did not come to run away from the devil. He came to run to him. Not to just destroy the penalty of sin. Not to destroy the ugliness of sin, the mar of sin, but to destroy the power of sin. Now, back to 1 John. At John's church, there's been a little bit of a fuss. Some people have left. They've gotten upset because they've got a little bit different view of sin than, the, than the, I would say, probably the majority that are left behind. But they consider themselves the, the spiritual intelligentsia, the kind of the spiritual elite, and they've got a different view of sin than those that are their brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, they have a view of sin that's, that's got a lot of indifference to it. They would say, listen, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. What matters is that you have great God thoughts in your mind. And John writes him and says, you're out of your mind if you believe that. There's no way in the world that you can think that you are right with God when you're doing exactly what he says is wrong. Impossible. 
He says, how can any authentic Christian enjoy what Jesus was sent to destroy? No, John would say the only good sin is one that's been conquered. Not just forgiven, conquered. That's why I love the story of a deacon who was praying in church. He said, Lord, just clean out all the cobwebs from our lives. Just clean out all the cobwebs from our lives, Lord. He would say that every single time and many times when he prayed, any time he was given the chance in a church. Well, finally, one member got tired of it. And when one Sunday he got up to pray again, he said, Lord, just, just clean all the cobwebs out of our lives. When he took a breath, another member interjected and said, and while you're at it, Lord, would you just kill the spider? That's what John says the mission of Jesus was all about. Not to just clean up cobwebs, but to destroy. Not to just tolerate, but to destroy. Not to just stand up to, but to destroy. The devil's work and what John reveals is a brilliant maneuver of God to pull that off. It really comes in two moves. Here's the first one. The first one is this. It required Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth. Maybe you heard the story of Heather McNamara. She's a six-year-old from New York and was discovered to have an inoperable brain tumor. It was enmeshed inside her internal organs to such an extent that there was no way that they could do surgery. Now, the parents didn't give up hope, and so they kept looking for a surgeon who might attempt to get out that tumor. And finally, they found one. Tomiachi Kayogo, which you will never know if I said that name correctly. But Tomiachi Kayogo said, we'll try. And then for 23 hours, they did. 23 hours, Heather was in surgery with him. They took out her pancreas, her spleen, her stomach, set her small and large intestines out of her body, all to get to that tumor, and they got it out. And then they put everything back that hadn't been affected by the tumor and closed her up. And five weeks later, that little girl went home to lead a normal life. Now, this was God's dilemma. Mankind was infected with this cancer called sin. And the angels of heaven were asking the same question. How in the world do you get to that tumor? The prophets wondered the same question out loud. How can God, who is totally and completely light, who is holy, 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 how can he get to the cancer of darkness in humanity? And the answer shows up in a manger. And God became a man. Why was that so significant? Well, here's what the Hebrew writer says about it. Go ahead, guys. Thank you, guys. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. For this reason, he had to be made like us, like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Now the Hebrew writer says it was essential, absolutely necessary, for Jesus to become like us. It wasn't just cute. It wasn't just a, a trick. It wasn't just something that, eh, it would be an adventure. Necessary for us. But an equal part of that step was that he remain a sinless one of us. Here's what the Hebrew writer went on to say. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin. Now that's a stunner if you know anything about you or the people around you right now. 
You mean to tell me for 33 years he walked through this world and did not sin? And the revelation of God is absolutely right. Absolutely right. And that's why he could pay my sin debt. Raymond can't pay my sin debt. He's got his own debt to pay for, thank you. I can't pay a Chad's sin debt. I got my own sin debt to pay for. Jesus had no debt. That's the only reason that man could pay my sin debt. Paul says it this way. Help me out, guys. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a scripture that you know. But listen to me. Doesn't it kind of hit you a little bit differently? When you're thinking about the opportunity for me as a human being, not just to say, God, would you forgive me for what I just did? But I can really ask, would you help me not to do that ever again? And there's a potential to do just that. Because his righteousness has been given to you. Now you can understand why John says multiple times in 1 John, if someone tries to come to you and convince you Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that's the Antichrist. Because it is absolutely essential he comes in your flesh. And it's absolutely essential that while in that flesh, he remains sinless. Or he is not a sacrifice that can take the place of these bulls and these goats and these sheep we've been sacrificing. If he is, however, no more sacrifice is needed. No more sacrifice is needed. That's why Paul would write, in Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and he condemned us, and he taken it away, nailing it to a cross. And having disarmed, here's the good part. That was great, good stuff. But here's the good part. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. More is going on here at the cross than just your opportunity to have a slate cleaned. No, God's advertising billboard style. Satan's gone down. Something's changed. He doesn't reign in this globe, on this globe, through this globe anymore. Are we still victimized by sin? You know we are. I'm going to talk about that in just a few moments, but we're not vanquished by it. We're still involved in a war because there's some skirmishes that we have to fight. You fought some skirmishes probably this morning from the moment you got up to you got here. Maybe even now while you're sitting there in those, you're fighting a battle. So you feel the war still present, but it's already been turned. The momentum has shifted, and it happened in a place called Calvary. And I'm here to remind you of it this morning because it's part of the incredible maneuver God has done in this world of ours to help you search out and destroy sin, not just simply be forgiven by it. The second one is this. Number one, you've got to be, you, there's the birth of Jesus that's absolutely essential, but here's number two. Your new birth is essential. Doesn't mean anything. Christmas means nothing. Him coming to this world and entering a manger means nothing. Unless you enter a womb like this and die and are born again. 
Now, you and I both know that Jesus' death on the cross didn't do away with us lusting, us lying, us being tempted to steal. It didn't do away with the war that goes inside of us whenever someone hurts us and we want vengeance and we've been asked to forgive, but now we'd rather hang on to the bitterness. And instead of to talk to someone face to face, we'd rather talk behind their back so that we can give our view and trash them. We're all tempted with stuff like that. You were this week. You, you failed in some of that stuff this week. Here's what religion says. You don't need a new life. Just turn over a new leaf. You, you just need a little bit better you. You can work on you some. Now that's what almost all the religions, if not all of them, but Christianity say. Jesus says, no, it's not how you get to be a part of our family. It's not. I don't get to do right and become a part of God's family. That's the message of all the religions of the world. Jesus says, left to yourself, you can't do right. Which is why you need to be born again. And if there ever was an example of someone who could do right, and he not qualify, you find him in John 3. The same old apostles, encyclopedia of Jesus' life. Not just a little letter that he shoots out to a church, but the entire story of Jesus' life as, as he tells it. And he includes in there this guy who is an expert at doing right. And he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness, and don't miss the imagery of that, to talk to this one who's come to illumine a new way, who called himself the light of the world. But he comes to him under the cover of darkness. And he believes he has the credentials to be in God's family. He worked for a religious organization. He spoke religious language. He participated in religious activities. He might not have been the best person in the world, but he certainly wasn't the worst. And so he's got to be in good standing with God, right? I mean, he's a spiritual superstar. And Jesus says, listen to me, wrong. Because you haven't been born of the kingdom of God. Sorry, Nicodemus, being good isn't enough. Even being religious good isn't enough. It's not for you and it's not for anybody else. He'll even go on to say this, everyone. He'll start with no one. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and the spirit. You see, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. And if that leaves you scratching your head, trust me, this religious expert who knew this book backwards and forwards, it kind of left him scratching his head too. But you can understand it this way. Good on you, moms. You can give birth to an earth child. Good on you. We can't do that. But you can't give birth to a forever child. Only God can do that. I'm thrilled that you've given birth to some children into this world. But I hope for your sake and for our sake that God gives birth to them into a brand new world, a forever world. And I know that's your hope too for many of you. You see, when God puts his life seed in us, when God puts his spirit in us, we can't help. We can't help but be godly. That's kind of normal, isn't it? You implant an embryo of a cow inside a cow, you expect a bird? <laughs> no. You expect another cow to come out, right? Now, we're doing some funky stuff with all this embryonic stuff, right? But here's the reality. You put God's seed in a person, you put his spirit in a person, you put his life in a person, they can't help, First John's trying to say, but be more godly. They can't help it. 
if they've really been born of God. That's why 1 John 3 and verse 9 says this. No one who is born of God can continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, here's our normal tendency. We let that threaten us. We let that disqualify us. I am asking you, let that excite you. Because sin doesn't have to keep you locked up in your very own personal prison anymore. The key to getting out of that prison requires two moves. The first is this, the incarnation of Jesus. The second is this, the regeneration of Jesus in your heart and life. Those two things are absolutely necessary and they're absolutely brilliant on God's part to bring about new life in you. Now, in this text up here, I've got the word continue to sin highlighted because that's important. Some of you in here are thinking, all right, preach, I'm just telling you, when I read that sin, I just think, not me. If that's what being a Christian is, I'm sorry, I failed this week, I sinned this week, lusted this week, told a lie this week. Um, instead of encouraging with grace with my words, I tore somebody down with my words. I, I, I blew it. Well, we're all going to do that. And, and I wish sometimes our English language could translate what the Greek language is, and that's why we're not trying to sound all scholarly-like when we say this, but, but really that, that language right there is it's a present tense participle. You can't be in Christ and keep on sinning. You can't. Now, it's possible, but someone who's in Christ isn't going to live for that. It's not going to live for that. It's just not, it's just not the way God's family lives it's not who he is now that's why it's important for us to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus and the extraordinary part of that is the spirit it's the spirit because he changes everything that's what John's trying to say and we ought to have learned that by now because if external pressure could defeat sin and drive out the ugliness of humanity, for heaven's sakes, we would have passed enough laws and built enough schools to fix the whole world. But external pressure can't defeat sin. Only internal power can. That's why he says you've got to be born of God. And if you're born of God, I'm telling you, it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. You're going to be able to say, I can defeat sin. I want to defeat I will defeat sin. This is the promise of Ezekiel chapter 36. Long before it ever became reality. One day soon, I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to remove from you your old heart of stone and, give you a, and replace it with a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Wow. When did he ever get around to doing that? When he made the spirit available to every single one of us, not just to Jesus, not just to the apostles, but to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Everyone. Yay, God! It's just not enough for me to just have my, my sins forgiven. I want to get better. I want to get, I want to get past this stuff. And he says, okay, you got it. If you've been born of me, me's in you. Let that righteousness flow. Let it out, all right? Come on, lights out. So I say walk by the Spirit. 
And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I can give you the, probably the best illustration in the world that I've ever heard of that talks about how his nature in us changes us. An old preacher said, it's kind of like you got a sheep and a pig. They both fall into a mud pit. You're going to get two different reactions. Remember, some of you who went to sleep, you said, oh, he's telling a story. I want to hear this part. A sheep and a pig fall into a mud pit. You're going to get two different reactions by those two animals. One beast is going to love the slime and want to stay there. And the other beast is going to want to get out as fast as he or she can. The reaction is going to depend upon the nature of the two beasts. Doesn't that kind of bring home what John's trying to talk about? What's the nature within you when you fall into sin, when you get duped by sin, when you get led into sin? Is it something that you want to stay there and get you some more of? The child of God wouldn't do that. The sister of God would not do that. Because when holiness comes into you, it gets out of you. It leaks out. That's just what happens. That's the nature of God in you. Now, in case you're thinking, preacher, I'm telling you, though, you've, you're just, <laughs> just not getting this. Not. Because I still fail. Well, I'm encouraging you this morning to do two things, all right? That I think will help. Two very specific things. The first is this. If you want to walk in the Spirit, here's really where it gets down to the nuts and bolts. You're going to have to surrender your right to govern your life. You do that, you have to surrender that over to God. You're going to have to surrender your right to govern over to God. And that doesn't happen one time in water like this with a preacher like me doing it. It happens every single day. And if you forget to do it daily, that's one reason why we share the Lord's Supper weekly. Share this with the Medina moms. Is I need that reminder every single week. Um, he sacrificed and surrendered his will. Remember the garden? Didn't want to do that. Is there another option? Plan B, God? I'm open. But not my will. Finish it. Thy will be done. You want to you know why we have hell on earth right now going on across the United States and the globe? It's because we've got six billion sovereigns who are trying to live out my will be done. My will be done. we got six billion kings fussing and fighting for their share of the turf. Their due. And what that's producing is we don't have to pontificate about. We just open our eyes and turn on the news. The murders, the thieves, the, the people blowing up innocent children. Blowing up people in bus stations, in schools, you name it. It's just got nuts because you've got six billion kingdoms out there. And Jesus comes and he preaches one sermon basically in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. The kingdom of God has come near. And what you need to do is repent and believe the good news. Now that doesn't mean let go of that sin. That's not what repentance means. Repentance means surrender. If you're looking for the best word that translates repent, it means surrender. I give up. My right to this. Not just I want to let go of this for the moment and get it back a little bit later. No, repentance is 
is a change of direction. So let me ask you this. Where are your feet pointed in regards to that thing you walked in with this morning that is just sucking the life out of you? I mean, it is wearing you out of the people around you. It is not a life they're experiencing because you're not living life. You're living your own kingdom. Your will be done, not his will be done. Because you really haven't surrendered yet. Over and over and over again, that was Jesus' sermon. Short and simple. Repent and believe the good news. And I just want to say this morning, if you uh, want to be a part of that good news life, then I'm going to give you an opportunity because I actually think most of us in this room that are Christians want this and, and you'd like to say, okay, you know, I haven't been living up to this very well, so could we just like draw a line in the sand? Well, if you'd like to be a part of that, would you just stand up right now, wherever you are? Every Christian in the room who wants to be a real Christian, please stand up. Now, I'm going to invite you this morning to pledge allegiance to the flag of the Trinity of Heaven. And there's your flag right there. And there's your Pledge of Allegiance. Can you read it? Is, it? is it large enough to read? Raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I hereby resign my right to the throne, a right that was never mine in the first place. I surrender all. Be seated. Now turn to the person next to you and say, um, I surrender as the king of the universe. Go ahead. Now, some of you did not understand what I said. Some of you are saying to your mate, you must surrender as the king of the universe. That is not what I said. Jesus came to bring good news. And the good news isn't. It's good news. It's, it's all right news that you can be forgiven. The good news is you can be free. But not on your terms, on his. So here's the second term that's required. Not just surrendering your right to govern, turning that over to God, but attacking any area of sin with the power of God. He's going to ask you to actively involve this because you do have the power within you now to search out and destroy, not settle, not just deal with the rest of your life, but to search out and destroy any area of sin in your life. You can do that. Not because you're something, but because he's something in you. You do not have to be locked in your own personal prison another day. Some of you may have heard the story of Harry Houdini, the famous musician and escapologist. He claimed that he could get out of any person, prison cell under a couple of conditions. Number one, that you didn't watch what he was doing. And number two, that he could enter the cell in his street clothes. Well, a small village in, British Isle, in the British Isles claimed that they had built a prison with jail cells that was, um, they believed, escape-proof. He accepted the challenge and he came, arrived, walked into the cell that day, closed the door, and they left him alone, just like he had asked dug out his tools, were in his clothes, and began working on the cell. He worked 15 minutes, then 30, then an hour, and the lock before him just laughed at him. 
After an hour and a half, he couldn't get the tumblers to release. And so finally, out of frustration and fatigue, he leaned his forehead on the cell door, and voila, it opened. It had never been locked. Never been locked. The only place it was locked in Harry Houdini's mind. When Jesus destroyed Death Church, he opened up the prison. The key was the cross. And the only power the enemy has over you is to deceive you and to discourage you with the hopes of finally eliminating you if you buy his lies. The last thing he wants is for you to believe that you can truly escape and God has opened a door of freedom that's been blown open wide because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now church, I think it's time for us to stop making excuses and start making progress. What do you say? Not settling for just being Jesus lookalikes, but being Jesus livealikes. That's what I want to be in my life. Maybe you've just determined that your loose tongue and your bad temper or your addiction to pain meds or pornography is just the way life's going to be. Maybe you've refused to forgive or you've just decided that you will always be too poor to give to the Lord. Or that you're going to be too busy to Sabbath and rest and reflect on God's goodness even for half a day. Forget a day. That's impossible in America, right? What John's trying to say this morning is it's time to stop making excuses and allow his light out. That's what he'd like to do. It's time to welcome the Spirit to destroy that illegitimate authority in your life and to ask God to show you what about you he wants searched out and destroyed. And then in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, watching that life change, surrender to him fully. Father, we come to you this morning, and again, I'll pray the same prayer I started with. We've looked at your word. We've, we've pondered these scriptures. It's probably not new for some of us. We'd like in on this life, and um, we're asking you to please help us to believe and then to act. Forgive us for um, fighting so hard to be the sovereign of our lives. You've asked us to call you Lord and to live as if you are Lord. And so we're, we're committing today to do that. We really do resign as king of the universe. We've come today to recommit to that. But we're also coming today to say, we're not going to leave here in our own power. We're leaving in yours. We're asking you through the power of your Holy Spirit, sometimes exemplified in the word, sometimes exemplified in the church, Sometimes it's exemplified with you and us and what you're nudging us to and speaking us to do. Father, we're asking for your power to be made manifest in us so that the world might know they have an opportunity to be free. A chance of true joy and true peace. And we ask us all in the name of Jesus and everyone said. Zane said, I want in on some of that. And he attended his own funeral. We put him to death right here, even at age nine. Dead, done. And he said, I want to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. And he walked out of here that day, not just with his sins forgiven, but with the spirit living inside him to empower him to be the best nine-year-old we've ever seen. Not because Zane's so great, because God's great. And if you're here this morning, you like in on some of that, we're going to be right down here. Please come find me. Find one of our elders. 
And if that, those words you said a few moments ago was just because you had to do what the preacher said do or you'd be embarrassed and it just didn't look, look good. But you've had some time to think about maybe what you said and you need a little bit more help with it than just what we stand and said a few moments ago. You need some brothers or sisters praying for you. That's how his power is made manifest. If you haven't had someone's hands on you and praying over you in the name of Jesus Christ in a while, I'm telling you, you don't know what power is. Some of you have never invited someone to do that, and I don't understand why. I don't. Yeah, I do. There's some other stuff in here that I study, preach, but I really don't believe. But I am praying for God to help me with my unbelief. we got some praising to do because God's done some amazing things in us, hadn't he? Let's stand and let's give him praise.